You're listening to the Blender Institute podcast, brought to you by the Blender Cloud. Is gravity pulling down your creative moisture? Evaporate your dreams on the cloud. Go to cloud.blender.org. Here's your host, Francesco! And welcome to Blender Institute podcast number 31. So we had Hjalti in the intro. He is enjoying some music festival now. So that's all you're going to hear about him for today. And uh, joining me today is actually Pablo. Hello there. And Sibran. Hello. And this is Francesco. So uh, this is the web week because it's just the three of us. We mostly work on the uh, infrastructure of uh, the Blender Cloud, the Blender Institute. So. Uh, we thought that uh, this time we can keep things a little bit uh, uh, centered about this. Of course, we are going to talk about all the news and all the new stuff that there is. But uh, in the end, uh, we are going to get to some uh, unusual topics for this uh, podcast. So, Pablo, what's the news? Blender, community news. I usually <laughs> go through what, like, Tom tweets or the or hashtag B3D is out there. But uh, Tony's on holidays. He's taking some days off, so <laughs> I have to do it myself. Oh, and I man. Okay, well, the big ones is that the Blender Conference uh, early bird tickets are out. Cool. So everybody that wants to join us in October here in Amsterdam, beautiful weather. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> last year actually was pretty nice and yeah. the summer wasn't so nice. So with this summer, I, I expect October to be summer 40 degrees. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Um, so the early bird tickets are out and you can go check the how get more info at blender.org slash conference about that then there is a very nice article that I found this um, uh, that also Tom tweeted (laughs) it's uh, from Brandon Hicks it's making sense of the 3D production pipeline Mm -hmm. it's a very nice reading about uh, about understanding how what making 3D actually is what actually actually means from the shading or from uh, modeling and all this, the steps for making movies. So that's a very nice article. Yeah, and then uh, I noticed that after NSC, we've been talking about how NSC was great and how we got connected to uh, with a lot of people. In particular, for the Blender network, we are starting to finally get some uh, uh, of those people we met there to join the Blender network, which is great because uh, you start seeing uh companies more companies joining and uh, being there with their profile representing the fact that they are using blender and getting more involved with the community and that's uh very nice this week we had uh, dwarf labs which is a, a nice. rather large studio in based in france in montpellier they are doing short film advertising and i think now they're working on something bigger and their pipeline is almost 100% blender nice. so that is uh, really really great to have them on board they in the past uh, donated a lot of code for the alembic input output pipeline which is now being worked on uh, so that it can be actually integrated in blender and then uh, there is a sumus render which is a render farm a render service and uh, they support Blender, uh, among other things. And it's very interesting because, of course, there are plenty of uh, uh, rendering services and rendering, render service providers out there. They've been rendering several feature films with uh, Blender and with their render farm. So it's really a really? commercial service focused on, on film, which is yeah. very where are nice. They, where are they based? 
They're Spanish. Ah, uh, yeah, they worked in uh, Tad, uh, the, yeah, the Lost Explorer, exactly. and Capture the Flag. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's them. They have a, a render farm also in the Canarian Islands, apparently. Wow. <laughs> How do, what a horrible place to have a render farm. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we, were, we were hearing from them. They work with international productions, so some of them... Uh, all over the all over the world, and it's like, well, why don't you just move the productions to the Canary Islands and actually do the computing somewhere else? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's them and uh, and other um, other other profiles too. So if you wanna see what's new, just also check out the Blender Network website. We plan to write a little write up, even if it's getting a bit late from uh, Annecy, to just sum up uh, all these encounters. And uh, it's uh, coming soon. I'm working on it right now as we speak. And uh, <laughs> yeah, type, so, type, type, so yeah. that is uh, that is that is coming up too. Yeah, awesome. So that's um, it. We are in the middle of the summer here. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't yeah. look like it, but also it's summer of code, right? Yeah. For Blender. Yeah. So yeah, I've seen most of the projects having... Uh, having yeah, it was midterm yeah. evaluation time. We yeah. mentioned yeah. it last week. So now the midterm evaluation has stopped and uh, overall it seemed to have gone quite well. Uh, we know that uh, Sibren here is a mentor yes. of uh, Google Summer of Code project. So maybe you can tell us how it went for you. Uh, yeah, this was actually the first time I was a Google Summer of Code mentor. So that was Ooh. quite fun. Yeah. How does it feel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, comparable to uh, what I know from, from working at the university. Uh, I've also taught students how to program and do all that kind of stuff. So, it, yeah, it, I, kn I know the role. Only I never, this time I never physically met the student. Mm -hmm. um, but, and, and he worked quite hard all the way in the end, but unfortunately not quite enough. Uh, so I, I had a lot of doubts and whether I should pass or fail him for the midterm examination. Um, and then, then Google is really helpful. They say, if you have a doubt, just fail somebody. Um, if you have hopes that things will turn for the better in the second half of the Google Summer of Code, uh, don't, because in their experience, uh, I think they've done now 11 years of, of Summer of Code already. Mm -hmm. And uh -huh. yeah, in their experience, usually students just are who they are, do what they do. Um, so if it didn't go very well in the first half, you can expect the same in the second half. Um, so for those reasons, I eventually decided to fail my student. Mm. This project was the the package manager for Blender add-ons. Oh, yeah, it's a real shame because I think it's it will be very good for for Blender to have a package manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. keeping track of all the add-ons and keeping them up to date, such a vital part. I mean, add-ons nowadays they do so they do so much. Yeah, that keeping them in in sync, huh? in sync, wink, wink mm -hmm. to <laughs> what we're gonna talk about later. <laughs> But yeah, it would. Uh, ah, it's a pity to hear yeah. that. Yeah, but I have some plans. Well, no, I have some rough ideas on how to how to work with uh, these packages, well, packaged add-ons. Yeah. Um, Ton also has some ideas on what they should and shouldn't do. 
uh, still has Francesco. I'm, I'm sure you also have ideas. So maybe at some point we can make our own proposal and see if uh, somebody wants to work on it. Yeah, definitely. That would be great because it's, yeah, it's, come on, it's 2016. Yes, and especially with like the add-ons that we ship with Blender are, of course, nice and, and yeah. kept up to date. But there are so many more add-ons out there that you also want to be able to synchronize and also yeah. maybe just not wait for a new Blender release to get the to latest add-ons. Yeah, that's another thing you have to keep in track, I guess. Like, okay, I'm using 274 and I'm seeing, seeing well, no, maybe it needs to be something. An example with, okay, a recent one, 278. And then I'm updating this add-on that is from 279. So what happens there? Does it, there is... There is a mismatch that tells you you cannot use it, or the add-on has like a minimum version uh, yeah, to what, work on. Or what? What Peter, the, my my Google Summer of Code student, uh, made was an overview of which versions of an add-on there are, yeah, and what the requirements are when it comes to the Blender version. So, for example, you could have version three that is for the latest and shiniest Blender. Uh, yeah. But up to version 2 is for, say, 2.77, which you're using at the moment. So uh, there were possibilities for that. Cool. Yeah, it would be nice to see it happening eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But the rest of the, the, the project seems to be fine. I, I read some of the logs and the player manager goes fine. Alembic yeah. stuff goes fine. Uh, Multiview is great. Yeah. And uh, actually, on the 27th of June, it was a developers meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. So there was uh, not much happening there. And uh, there was a, a note about not pushing for a 278 anytime soon, but uh, working on a 277B. And this is now oh. being discussed on... Uh, and the mailing list, there is uh, some email uh, from Sergey about some sequencer issues. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, something that needs to be fixed uh, urgently and things like that. But uh, the 2.78 uh, planning is uh, is in discussion. So if you're really interested in yeah. when the, the, the deadlines, usually we try, or the development, development team tries to aim for a release uh, before SIGGRAPH. Yeah, because it's always like a nice moment to uh, share Blender when uh, Blender goes there with the with the stand with the booth in the in so the trade show. So you can show ah, this is what is coming so next. When is SIGGRAPH? Is uh, in a few weeks uh, in uh, July, end of July. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know the exact. I don't remember the exact dates, well, but uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So we don't know really what is going to happen. Maybe it's going to be a release candidate or something like that. And uh, yeah, and besides that, there are some uh, uh, the, the current projects, uh, especially the uh, viewport project with the OpenGL 3.2 minimum requirement Ooh. for the Blender 2.8, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is uh, uh, the, there is some agreement on uh, increasing, like enhancing the the, the minimum requirement. Yeah, the minimum requirement. That's this good. Is, Let's go good. for it. Yeah, yes. it has it has implications, of course, for all the operating systems because of yeah. how this is implemented, in particular for the way OS X uh, mm -hmm. works. Because uh, yeah, because of technical reasons, we are not gonna get too mm. technical. But uh, there seems to be uh, an agreement on it, and of course, it's possible to also have OS X to support this. So. Good. That's uh, hopefully Good. what people are going to work on. And uh, the uh, Alembic uh, project, uh, indeed, is uh, progressing quite well. 
And uh, if you follow, there is a thread on the developer.blender.org website where you can see the progress of the patch and the progress of the development and people testing. There is also a Blender artist thread uh, where artists are testing the tool with uh, different Alembic caches coming from different softwares. Ah, and, so uh, nice. It looks really cool. People are enthusiastic about it. They're talking about it. And uh, as a first or a second iteration of uh, Alembic being used actually for mesh caches of objects, it seems to be seems to be great like uh, i mean until it can be integrated deeper this is already something yeah. great to have i mean that's what we used uh, for gooseberry right we used it for only for simulations and yeah exactly like in that case it was a different approach because we really needed it for that kind of uh, pipeline stuff and in this case is really for as a substitute for mesh caches like yeah, yeah. so it's uh, i think is one step further but then if you want to go even further then you have to really rethink how this whole thing works and that's the 2.8 and uh, yeah, that's that's it. That's I it. Yeah, I was also reading that Bastian committed the library remapping to master. That's right. Yeah, it's amazing. Right, that's right. I didn't know. I'm gonna go check it. Not now, but <laughs> immediately after because that library remapping, that's huge. Yeah. yeah. You, the way you do it right now in Blender is go to the outliner Blender file, and then Control click on a. But not even, that's for changing the, the source of the library, but you can't really remap a library right now. So that's pretty big. I didn't know it was merged. So Yeah, so you can take a file from Caminandas, production file with a 50 linked recursive library, yeah, take it, put it right. on your desktop, and then try to open it with Blender and try to remap everything and see what happens. Uh, after moving <laughs> the wall of errors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what is going to happen? Because uh, maybe you're going to get an error, but then from what I understand, you open the outliner and then you can start remapping stuff, I think. Yeah. Well, try it I and let us know how it goes. I will, I will report <laughs> next week how it went. All right. Very yes. Nice. So yeah, that's uh, the development. But the development stuff, yeah, yeah. I guess it's, uh, well, we can just move straight to the cloud so stuff. Cloud. So what's the cloud business? Cloud has been busy. Yeah. Even uh, when some of our members have been either sick or uh, actually our, our Argentinian team online has been pretty active yeah. lately. Team Argentina. Yes, Team Argentina. Juan Pablo Bosa updated Blendrig. So Blendrig is now in its version. <laughs> 1.002, I think. Zero, zero. Why 1.002? Zero, zero, yeah. Because he's ready for a thousand. For a thousand. Yes. Pablo. <laughs> okay. We, we will try to simplify that. But there is a new version that it, it works with the latest add-on. And two characters on the cloud have been updated for that. Yeah. Yep. Vincent and... Victor. 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 Mm. Victor. 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 Yeah. Yes. There is a beautiful picture of the two of them. Oh. At the end of the ah. blog post, you can see them. You can yeah, see there is something going on the there. With a, yeah. They're pretty, pretty good friends. <laughs> So you can read about it on the on the blog. Yeah, there is uh, the the Blendrig project. So it's cloudofblender.org slash p slash Blendrig slash blog. Or you just go to the Yeah, to exactly. Blog. And, uh, and there you can see the, the news. And he wrote this nice article that explains also how to go through the motions of updating the thing yourself and uh, to spot any problems and, mm, uh, yeah. and, and tools and stuff like that. If we had an add-on to update that, it would be awesome. A package <laughs> manager. <laughs> But we don't. Okay. So update, <laughs> update your blend rig. There is uh, some really good features. And in the in the blog, you can see some of the, the yeah. new stuff, new UI, yeah. and everything. Um, speaking of characters, Rinky. You know Rinky? The red yeah. guy, the red uh, squirrel from Big Bug Bunny yeah. has been uploaded to the cloud. 
with the latest and greatest rig, ready to animate, to be animated and ready to be lit and rendered because yeah. it's also updated for cycles. Yeah, and they did a pass on it, and this is. Uh Quite uh, long overdue work on our side. Uh, Wayne Dixon, he has been uh, providing us with uh, updated rigs for Big Bunny characters uh, several weeks ago, and we've been in touch with him. We already updated something in Big Bunny, and we are uh, talking to him, and he's uh, is uh, helping us. He's a really great contribution, so we're really happy about it. And uh, he also gave us more tips on what we just published, the little fixes also on the Bunny rig, and uh, we are. We are looking into it, and it's really, it's really cool because uh, then Andy did a pass on the shading, and you can actually get the character, and it looks great both in internal and in cycles. And uh, hopefully, you can animate it. We haven't seen a lot of animation with the characters of the character library lately, but maybe you know, it's just because you guys are shy. So <laughs> if you make anything, please share it with us. We are yeah. always so happy to see. Like uh, I still remember a few weeks ago, a few months ago, maybe somebody made an animation as soon as Vincent was out. It was totally hilarious to ah, see like yeah. this wacky animation of yeah, yeah of uh, of uh, Vincent running uh, running around it was it's really fun so if you do anything please share it with us we are happy to see it and last but not least our other part of the of the Argentina team yeah Matias Mendiola storyboard artist he's been uploading stuff to the um, to the cloud, yeah. he's uploading all the tests, the animatics uh, that he's been working on. Which together is, with Chalti. Yeah. yeah, together yeah. with Chalti. So up until a few days ago, they were sharing it, uh, like like emailing about it. Uh, so why not using the cloud? So he's been uploading stuff for Chalti to 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 review, to get yeah, to review and get feedback. And I think that's that's great. That's what the cloud is about, right? It's about mm -hmm. sharing and giving feedback. So. So it's all public. So it's go cool. and it's have a look. It's, exactly. it's really cool. You yeah. see it at the same time as the director of the short is going to see yeah, it. Exactly. So that's pretty cool. And yeah. if you take a good look, you can find Pixel in there. <sighs> what? Yes. Really? Pixel yeah. is a healthy cat, by the way. Yep. <laughs> yes. yes. Really? Yeah. I there. guess you can see many pixels, but not just the one pixel <laughs> to the name of the cat. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. So yeah, if you want to see how the Agent 327 project is going, just check out the the front page of the cloud because now everything is there. It's a nice activity list. Yeah. yeah. And before we talk about that, also one more content that uh, uh, has been uploaded from the agent project is Kalti's uh, work. Uh, and, uh, it's He did some uh, animation walk cycle tests. We talked about this last week. He kept working on it also this week. And uh, they are now online as well. So yeah. if you want to see how the new agent rig moves and the Boris rig moves with all ah, the yeah, jacket the overlay and the motion and all that, it's, uh, it's all there. There is this, uh, this clip that shows. There is also a layout clip that he made for Matthias to uh, explain the, the space of the barbershop when the fight happens between the uh -huh. characters. So there is this very nice uh, view of uh, like a camera view of how it would look like from a camera, but especially how the characters are moving in space because he's really paying a lot of attention to make it feel um, to, to make it real. Yeah, choreography so, too. Yeah, exactly. There is a real choreography and is really uh, having, a, th th they are moving in space in a certain order and things are happening for a certain reason. Yeah. And uh, even if then there is a lot of action and you cannot follow exactly, it, it feels logic. And you can see all the planning and uh, you can see it happen in this uh, double view clip. And that's very nice. And it's all there on the cloud in the weekly folder. So check it out if you 
if you want. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Usually uh, when changing cameras or, or the editing makes it look like the space is either bigger or smaller. So having this layout to see where the actual where the characters are actually moving, it's, it's pretty nice. And this layout was used by Andy to create the actual... Barbershop. Barbershop place, yeah. which if you haven't seen on the cloud, there are awesome renders already. Um, he made the, the the basic layout and then replaced some of the models with a higher resolution and now it's looking amazing. So it's pretty uh, it's pretty cool. It's like, oh, I made this render. Oh, I made a chair. And then the chair is like super detailed and amazing. Yeah, yeah, I made a chair. Oh, and yeah, really that's handy. Like, <laughs> yeah, I made a couch and it's an amazing couch. Yeah. So good. So no blend swap there. <laughs> Real talent. Yeah. So make sure you check those out. Great. Okay, well then... We have uh, one more bit of news about the Blender Cloud. Blender Cloud, yes. Yeah. Tiny little thing. Tiny. Yeah, tiny. Tiny. So you've uh, maybe seen it on Twitter. It is called Blender, Blender Sync. Sync. Yes. Well, we talked about it in the, in the previous episode, right? Yeah. But yeah. it is out now. It so. is there. Yeah, yeah it's, it's there. Done. The reason it's why we're recording, yeah, why recording this actually a day late <laughs> yeah. is because we... We were working very hard very to get hard. everything done because it's not only the Blender Sync features. Also, uh, Pablo made a completely new front page and activity stream and random featured assets from all over the cloud. And yes, it really looks beautiful. We we spend a lot of time on it, but the, the the star of the show is like we wanted to change the homepage for a while, but we were waiting for the right moment with a new feature to to. To release it, so the the big thing is Blender Sync. We said it last week. Uh, we talked about it last week. It's just uh, is is a way to synchronize your Blender settings across multiple um, computers, just yeah. storing your settings on Blender Cloud. This service is for free. It's available for everybody that logs in into the cloud. And to log in into the cloud, you can you just use your Blender ID. It's just uh, you don't need a subscription. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Just need a Blender ID. Download the add-on. Install it. It's yeah. an add-on bundle. How does this add-on bundle work? Ah, uh, yep. Sorry, sorry. I I was testing it. No, I, it's okay. I did it too. Yeah. So, so the, yeah. the the you have to download a, a two add-ons actually, but to make it easier, there is one link which is a zip file. It contains two zip files inside, which are the add-ons. So my first reaction was, ah, oh, yeah, just install the whatever I downloaded, which was one file, one zip file. And because in Blender for the add-ons, you can install zip files. You don't need to unzip. But in this case, you need to unzip because there are actually two add-ons. Yes. So, sorry, my mistake. <laughs> but now it's called unzip me, yeah, right? Yeah, so, unzip me first even. Yeah, okay. So we, so we put it in capitals, in, in the, the file name, so that it's really clear. Because I, even though I made it, yeah. I also... <laughs> you also did it. I also did it once. Yeah. 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 So it it's it's really normal that you would do this yeah when we have the package add-on manager it won't happen again yeah yeah but That's ideally true. like um so there was the blender id add-on and the blender cloud add-on both yes one is for authentication one one is the actual sync yeah and at first we developed them simultaneously so that meant that we would release a new version of the blender id add-on yeah. together with the new version of the blender cloud add-on yeah um but now for the latest update of the cloud add-on, I didn't have to do anything for the Blender ID add-on. So I think that pretty soon we can stop bundling the things. and We just put the Blender ID on Blender 278. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
So, or 277B? No, we can't. It's a it's a B release. But or 278, it should be. I think it should be there. Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely, definitely. That's yeah. the plan, actually. Yeah. So yeah. at least now it's getting tested. People have been finding some issues and we have fixed them. So yeah. it's uh, relatively simple, especially because we have these decoupled add-ons and the Blender ID is meant to be the minimum basic functionality. We have been talking about it in the past. It's just there to make sure that Blender knows who you are. And that's yeah. all. So it shouldn't change much in the future. So it's relatively safe to just uh, ship it at some point and uh, that will be it. Yeah. And uh, for the other uh, add-on instead, the Blender Cloud add-on originally was the Blender Texture Library. It is now um, getting a larger scope. So it also provides this synchronization functionality. Yeah. So what are the main uh, features that uh, the add-on offers? How does it work? You mean the the... Sync and the yeah. texture browsing. Yeah. Well, it has sync and it has texture browsing. Okay. Damn. What about sync? How uh, does that work? How do you sync? Well, you sync pretty much <laughs> all your settings and your startup.blend. So okay. your startup file is synced, your user preferences are synced. Uh, that includes your key map theme, uh, which add-ons you enabled or disabled, um, even the add-on preferences. If these add-ons use the Blender provided way of doing preferences. Yes then that's automatically synced as well. That's amazing. Yeah. And there is a few things that we don't sync mm-hmm. uh, just to be on the on the safe side. So all the file paths that you can set are not synced. In your user preferences. Yes. Right? So, so textures and everything else is fine. And slash uh, and the output, for example, the render output, that's also... Well, render output is part of the... It's the blend. Yeah. But what you don't sync is the ones that you set for like temp folder or fonts or textures in exactly. in the files file tab in yeah. the user pref. Because we know that um, people have been trying to make their own synchronization uh, work with, for example, Dropbox or OwnCloud. Mm. So what they do is they put their add-ons in, in Dropbox and then configure Blender to look there yeah. for yeah. their script directory. And of course, you want that on different machines and different platforms. But on Windows, the path to your Dropbox will be different than on Mac or on Linux. Yeah. So that is why we decided not to sync those paths because they will be different on each machine anyway. Yeah, it makes sense. Even even with the same operating system, at, at work here, I have a, a folder structure, and at home, I have a different one. Even though I would use Linux on both. Yeah. Exactly. Then yeah. That's also why we don't sync bookmarks and don't sync recent files. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, also, and one important feature is, of course, that this currently happens manually. So you have to synchronize, you have to save and load manually. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've been asked about, yeah, well, can it be happening automatically when oh. uh, you close Blender, for example? Eek. Yeah. Or when you sync at work and then you come home and then you have it's your there. synchronized settings there already. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, of course we can do that, but it would take more time. And it's also a bit tricky because if things go wrong, you don't know why. No, but, if but also... Button, if you press a button and then you get an error message, you yeah. know that it's because you press that button. Yeah, but also, like not even Blender itself saves the settings automatically when yeah. you close Blender. So why would, why would the add-on do it? Yeah, that's the thing. It like, could be a setting. Exactly. That, but 
it could be, yeah, a setting for automatically doing it. And I, I would be okay with that, actually. I think I would even use it. But if Blender doesn't do it by default, then... Yeah, yeah, we've been finding ourselves uh, ourselves to talk about this in, uh, in for different reasons. And uh, you always end up being with, uh, with this path. Okay, do I go a very automated way of things that happen in the background and... Uh, you don't have so much fine control over it. It just works, TM. And of course, it means also it can f- fail and you have no idea why. Or you actually go more manual, like you really want to give control. It's really two, yeah. two ways of thinking and uh, people prefer one or the other usually, or for something they prefer one or the other. And uh, when we are in doubt about that, we look, okay, how is Blender doing this? Maybe Blender is not doing it in the ideal way, but at least we try to stay as consistent as possible with Blender. Yeah. Because then at least, yeah, we 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 follow something yeah, that we all agree on the Blender way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so in this case, uh, uh, is is exactly the the same. So if you don't save, if you if you keep kill Blender, then yeah, nothing really yeah. happens. Yeah. So, but in the future, maybe we can. It could look be a into... nice option. I was already with by saving and testing. I was I wanted to test the the key map. For example, I changed my key map, save, and I changed my theme. Uh, which I found awesome because I I'm I maintain the the flatty light um, theme that many people have been using it. So now it's a bit of a pressure. I see them they, they use it on mm. their screenshots. It's a bit of pressure mm. every time I want to change something. It's like I need to think about it and use it a lot. Like I want to test yeah. it for a month. I don't know a week. The change in color to see if it actually makes sense. Test it here and test it at home. So up until now, I was I was saving the XML. I was uh, putting it somewhere. And then at home, I would use it again. I didn't want it to commit the changes to Git mm. because they were testing. But now I have the cloud. I noticed that you can change all the colors in your theme, in your active theme. You save the settings and yeah, it, it loves it because they're saving the start of the blend. Yeah. So I think I'm going to be using that. Well, I'm they're gonna be saved in the user preferences. User preferences, sorry, yeah. yes. So I'm going to be using that to update my own theme until I feel ready. And then I will take that and put it in it cool. to update my stuff. Nice. That's so cool. And that's great. Yeah. For the key maps. Ah, yeah. I was talking, I was got a bit sidetracked that by saving all of this stuff uh, pretty often and loading it, maybe we could have, if the add-on is enabled, maybe we could have that save settings in the header or somewhere a bit closer um, in the header of the user pref. I mean, yeah, that, actually, that's where uh, during development it started out. Yeah, um, I think we could bring it back there. We could bring it back there, but there are a few things that uh, require some extra space because there's also a notification about what it's doing because it's working in the background. It's uploading, downloading stuff uh, asynchronously. So while it is working, you can still use Blender normally. Yeah. Um, so that is why I figured... It might be nice to have everything in one little panel so you can keep an eye on that. You know where the messages will be. You know that the status that yeah. it's done is there to to read, even though something else you did in Blender may also say that it's done. So there's this one little panel that's only for this add-on. The, yeah. And if you move that to a status, like the, uh, yeah, the header. Yeah. Mm, Okay, Might not I be understand. the clearest. <laughs> Gotta do it myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's all open source, so yes. you can do that yourself. If um, so, that's also to the people listening in. Uh, if you have any idea on how to improve things, 
we're always open to see patches or yeah, to it's open source. So this. Uh, yeah, check it out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. So that's with Blender Sync. Yeah, yeah. we uh, again, as we said, that this is a free service. It's a very big step because uh, we try so far all the Blender Cloud services are available only with subscription and uh, Blender Sync is the start of something bigger because we plan to make this system expandable to allow synchronization and sharing of other things that is not just your Blender settings but uh, the very basic we think is so useful that everyone should have it really and that's something everybody yeah. wanted in Blender for ages yes. and that is a Dropbox hack has been very popular and is all fine and everything but uh, I think it's really nice if uh, uh, Blender itself does it yeah and for this reason, is uh, we are very happy that this is uh, that this is of course available to everyone. So that is uh, that is that is that. So you just need a Blender ID, and that's uh, which is basically your email yeah, and password. That's, yeah. Yeah. that's all you need. So we, there are yeah. instructions on the blog post about it. And uh, but there is uh, more stuff coming, right? For the for this exactly. The, so you you might notice that in the website is in the in the home section. Yeah. So there is this home section because originally this was uh, called it is called like the home project so the idea is that you provide a place for every user on the cloud where they can store their own things so it's meant to be sort of like a private space a personal space not really private yeah but you can put your things so next to your blender preferences we are planning very soon to implement image sharing yeah so nice. what is that? Yeah, maybe Sibran can tell us a bit how we how we thought about this and how it works and how we expect it to work. Well, there's of course a lot of people that want to share their cool renders. Um, everybody's proud of what they're doing. Or, or their horrible renders work in progress. <laughs> but oh, still. Of yeah, in of my course. case I will share horrible renders only. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well every, but everybody wants to share their stuff. And um, both both hobbyists just showing off what they're doing, but also professionals that need collaboration with colleagues and also just want an easy way to, to yeah. share. Or report bugs, for example. To report bugs. Um, so what we envisioned is just a very simple one-click sharing. So you, you have your render, you see it, you click on the button, and then it uploads that render to the cloud. How it exactly works after that, we still have to think about it. Maybe it opens the browser automatically that you can see what it is, where it is, uh, so you can get the URL that you can share. Or it could uh, give you the URL or directly. Maybe we can give yeah, we can give it automatically. Even Blender could just put it on your clipboard and the only thing you need to do then is paste it. Yeah. That would be nice. And tweet about it. And, and tweet about it. <laughs> it, it makes a, a Twitter account. No, but yeah, yeah, that would be great. Uh, do you think for sharing screenshots with that, like, you know, Blender has the screenshot um, operator where you can screenshot the uh, window or yeah. an area? Well, yeah, Maybe of course. Could... I mean, with uh, the sync add-on, we have functionality to just upload any file to the, to the cloud. Oh, oh cool. So that could also be a screenshot that's saved to a temporary directory and then uploaded. So yeah, no oh, problem. Very nice. Yeah, especially for screenshots, I think it's pretty handy. Well, renders too, of course, but not everything is a render, right? If you're an animator wanna, or if you are doing modeling or whatever, maybe it's a nice way of... Uh, it could be nice. Wow, you could even 
save a screencast. You know, Blender has a built-in screencast uh, that was coded by a very tall Dutch guy <laughs> on his holidays, Ton. He made the, the, yeah, using Blender internal screencast. I was just thinking that there is a, some apps or like Procreate in, in iPad, for example, that you paint and lets you save the video of what you painted. Like mm-hmm. a, a time lapse. Oh, interesting! Without all the stuff in the in the screen, it's pretty nice. Uh, well, and people are are praising it. Oh, this is awesome! Yeah, well, we've been talking about uh, allowing subscribers to upload videos as well. Yeah. So this could be a nice use case for for that. Wow! Yeah, I think I I just came up coming uh, up soon. Yeah. Streaming of Blender in Bam. the cloud, like Ooh. your own Twitch in the cloud. Yes. <laughs> Blend Twitch, like something like that. Which? Yeah. Which? No. <laughs> wow, that would be amazing. I mean, it, in theory, could it's possible, but uh, that, that would yeah. be great. Yeah, I, th- I think first step is to revisit our video pipeline. Yep. Uh, because, well, what we use now is Encoder, which is an online service that you can use for uh, encoding your videos. Yeah. Um, but this is a well paid for service, so if we the more people use it on the cloud, the more we have to pay for that service. So we have to see yeah. how, how we do that. If we keep using it or do something else. Mm. Yeah, it can get pretty expensive if people start uploading many hours of videos, of yeah. course, and then yeah, and they end up paying more than what the subscription costs. So it's like, yeah, not yeah. very... Yeah. So yeah, actually talking about uh, how these things work, uh, maybe we can... Uh, yeah. Start talking about how does the cloud work. So we've been mentioning in the past the 30 podcasts, features yeah. <laughs> we've been working on, things we've been doing, improvements and things like that. And uh, I think that today we are going to have yeah. a little dive into how does the cloud work. Behind uh, the scenes. Behind yeah, the scenes of the cloud. So I think uh, we can start uh, in order. So uh, we... Well. Well, I mean, it all started, I mean, we are three now, we're uh, Sibren, Francesco, myself, and we are working on the cloud right now. Sometimes I'm an artist, but (laughs) sometimes I I, I mostly work on the cloud. But it all started with you, Francesco. You made the cloud, the version 1.0. No, you want to even make the history of the cloud, not just how it works. Just a a very, like, in in one minute, uh, how it all started, because it came a long way. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's It's a version... It's been two years and a half almost now. Yeah. The birthday of the cloud is in March. Nine. And, uh, yeah, (laughs) and uh, so it all started uh, with uh, South by Southwest uh, in 2014. 13, 13, 13 yeah. so, so long ago. And uh, that's uh, when the first, the very first iteration of the cloud was born. It was for the Gooseberry Project uh, uh, campaign. So I was, uh, uh, after doing some brainstorming with Ton, at the, at the time it was just uh, the two of us uh, working here at the Blender Institute preparing for the, for the campaign, I single-handedly put together the yeah cloud blender.org website which included the crowdfunding campaign platform where people could donate and pledge for the gooseberry project and we launched it and it was uh i wouldn't call it a disaster but it, <laughs> it was uh, a very 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 challenging uh, situation 
especially because we had this uh, great idea of uh, presenting and launching this at South by Southwest. So we weren't even here in the studio where normally you have fast internet, you have your own uh, house, you have your own facilities and you're comfortable working. But we were actually in a hotel somewhere in Austin while this massive festival with everything, with thousands of people and all the stuff happening was going on at the same time. So that's how the cloud was born. It was uh, very tricky, (laughs) Uh, but uh, yeah, so that's how it all started. But it was still the same concept, right? It was like uh, video, all all that was in the eShop. Yeah, at that point, we basically uploaded everything that was uh, available on the eShop. So that... uh, Oh, doorbell. Oh, there is a doorbell. All right. Well, um, so yeah, that's... uh, that's, uh, We we published all that content that was originally available in the store there. And uh, it was very closed at the beginning. Like you really needed to have a subscription to be logged in and to be able to see stuff. But then we started improving that, of course. And uh, it was clear from the beginning that one person would not be enough to do all this work. Yeah. So, <laughs> so actually, a few months later, you, Pablo, joined uh, uh, back the, the Institute, Goose. right? Yeah. I don't yeah. remember. It was before Gooseberry started. 2013 still? In, I don't... Yeah, it, I think yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah, it was a few months later, I think. Yeah, I, I usually, at the beginning of the year, usually go home for like holidays or something. Back then, I didn't have a stable job at the, at the Blender Institute because, uh, yeah, there was yeah, no exactly. such thing. So I came a few months later and joined, yeah, mainly... Uh, to brainstorm about how we could improve this cloud. So the the big thing about the the, the cloud 1.0 is that you couldn't see what was behind unless you got a subscription. Like you couldn't. Uh, there is a video by Sebastian he made about how showing the cloud because yeah that was one one big thing that we wanted to change. Yeah, exactly. And um, with the first iteration of the design. Yeah. And also started implementing on some of the basic uh, libraries that that we used to to make web development a bit easier yeah that's uh, that's true yeah so we started building a bit more infrastructure because uh, to make the experience consistent across uh, the various blender websites that were around at the time and uh, overall just uh, iterate uh, once again because we knew that the gooseberry project was coming so it was not just about sharing a training for example but it was also about sharing assets and showing some sort of a, a very active platform where things were being uploaded and uh, that was uh, I think when we started working on the cloud 2.0 yeah which is the one that would allow you to publish stuff individually for new projects exactly it was very yeah yeah because the very first cloud didn't even have that it didn't (laughs) even have publishing you just yeah you don't even want to know yeah and that basically went uh, all the way through the gooseberry project gooseberry yeah we were seeing that and uh, it was working sort of okay. It was very challenging to keep maintaining and developing the cloud with a growing user base. And together, uh, uh, of course, Pablo at the time, you were working as Goosebury. an artist in Gooseberry, so yeah. you didn't really have a lot of time. And I was also working on Gooseberry project on the render management software and uh, on the shot management software on what is called Attract. So yeah. it's the tool that uh, makes a, a shot list and you know who is working on which shot and what tasks uh, have to be completed for that shot. And that was a separate software. So during the time we were joined by uh, Gabriel Caravaggio yeah. and uh, he helped us a lot. And uh, that actually laid the foundation for a new version of the cloud. So for making Attract, uh, I uh, started 
delving into a different uh, technologies, a different approach to um, to handle assets and and conversations and processes and stuff uh, like that. So Attract was a, a good uh, exercise to develop a new platform for that. And that's when we started developing the Cloud 3. Bam! And the, cl- the Cloud 3 was the most massive well, what was it? rewrite ever. And it was... Last year... Mm, yeah, I yeah, don't remember. Somewhere Totally not... Uh, <laughs> I wasn't thinking we were going to talk about this. <laughs> Otherwise, mm. I would have I would have noted the dates because it's fun to see how things progress. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, then with the, with the Cloud 3, we had actually uh, a much more... Uh, solid and abstract approach to this problem of uh, having lots of files and lots of different items that could be uh, tasks, that could be videos, that could be directories containing bunches of assets and, and, and everything. And that's what we actually were using and that's what we are still using nowadays. And uh, we, yeah, we, we ended up making the infrastructure a bit more, more complex and we can talk about that in, uh, in yeah. a moment. And uh, yeah, and that's what we are still using. Then Sibran joined us uh, now. It's been a few months. And uh, I would <laughs> say that the Blender Cloud 3 is still the Blender Cloud 3. We could almost call it 3.5. Uh, yeah. The idea, the architecture is pretty much the same. But of course, the quality <laughs> of it has been increasing a lot uh, thanks to Sibran and his uh, experience. So we are super happy about that. And uh, talking about experience, uh, it's been almost three three years and uh, I have to say that for me, the Blender Cloud One was almost the very first uh, complex web application I ever made. Yeah. So there has been a lot of growth for me too during this uh, during this time. And uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's also funny how you see uh, when you work. I still work every day, and I look at the code. And I'm like, oh man, like I remember back in the oh, day, yeah. some <laughs> mistakes. And you make oh, a mistake yeah. at the very beginning, and you carry this over and over and over. And then someone else comes in, like Sebran, and he, he points at it and he's like, why is this uh, very stupid thing here? And I was like, well, yeah, it's uh, here because back then that's all I knew. You can yeah. you can see <laughs> still myself from <laughs> from the fifth day I knew how to program something. That time travel. Yeah. <laughs> so that that is still happening from time to time, and is uh, I think is funny and we just you know you learn every day so that's uh that's cool okay so uh that being said how does the how does the cloud work like how how is it now so it used to, what it used to be it was a uh, uh, one server like it was one uh, application that uh, was connected to a database and uh, it had a web interface so it was a website where users could go there talk to it and then access data that would be accessed from the database and it would be represented in the in the web browser and <laughs> so that's the definition of every website <laughs> and this is how a normal <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. so it was a normal website but then we knew we wanted to have more so we decided to have an infrastructure and a system that would allow users to access data not just with their web browsers but also potentially with other things for example blender and that of course means that we had to change some things so that is why i'm mentioning this at the very beginning because there are different components inside of the blender cloud now that is not as simple as one web application attached to a database that's all so starting with the front end yeah which means what the user sees, uh, what do we have? And we have here Pablo, which is our front-end expert <laughs> front-end, and yeah. lead uh, front-end developer. And, uh, also known as the only guy <laughs> yes, doing. So how does it work? So uh, the, um, 
so at the beginning, uh, we at the beginning. Well, I mean, this is not the first website we do. We <laughs> we made a Blender.org. We make uh, we make. No, we have to talk in the past. We're still <laughs> making those websites. So Blender.org, uh, Blender Network.org, Blender Conference. They're all these websites that were sort of sharing the same style in a way. And for that, I just started. Yeah, just a regular Blender.org is WordPress for now, <laughs> except some parts that are like more dedicated and have their own apps like Blender Conference. So for that, we try to to share a style between the websites. So for that, we use, um, uh, it's a, like a GitHub rep, the repo that where you where we put all the styles and the templates. And for that, I didn't use any templating engine for, for like HTML, but I was using for CSS. I was using less back then. Then over time, I changed that and started using SAS. So that's what we use right now for the for the CSS part. We use it there. Yeah, the SAS templating. Yeah. Is that called templating? System? Yeah, so yeah. For, it's for a compiler. Those, yeah, for you who are wondering, they are they are uh, CSS preprocessors. Yeah, exactly. So it's a way to write uh, CSS, so the styling of the website, in a more intuitive and less verbose way than the traditional CSS. Yeah, and then there is a tool that uh, you can use to generate the CSS. Yeah, to, so, co- to, to compile. So the, what tools did you use, Pablo? Well, back then I started <laughs> using Grunt. So the grunt is uh, it's also is a it's, how would you call it? It's like a, it's a task runner. It's a task runner. Yes. Yeah. So you give it tasks. So this task is going to be okay. Get all the the less of files or the SAS files, and then compile it into one nice tiny compressed CSS. So that way, when you when you write CSS, you can just write it completely um, more verbose, more uh, detailed, or you can add variables. You can set. Uh, you can do loops. You can do so many things that are pretty handy. You can define the variable, for example, the color of the links. You, yeah. you set it once, and then you can reuse that everywhere else on the website. You don't have to type, okay, the color was pink. You know, yeah, or F, F, more right. in general, like you can say, okay, your main color of the website yes, is exactly, blue. Yes, exactly, the accent color, yes. So I started reading a little bit about it. I um, read about the, the material. Uh, Google, at that time, Google came up with the material design, which is a huge documentation and it's awesome about how their their material framework works so they defined okay there is a, there is usually like a, a main accent color for the website there is also different state of colors for text for example so you have text that is one the, the regular color of the text and then you have two other states for example you have the disabled state or a hint state so those uh, those terms I'm using now also on the on the cloud They've been, um, it's an evolution, right? At the beginning there, I, I, I implemented this vaguely on other website and now I see them and I cringe, especially on the on other, older website. So now I'm trying to bring it back. The cloud is the best so far as a reference because I, I work on it every day. So there is, yeah, so for CSS, we're using SAS where we define the main colors and um, we use the, the other main settings, configurations, what defines, what is responsive, what, what size in pixels it makes it responsive or, or not. <clears throat> um, it makes it mobile or not, for example. So that's for CSS. And then at some point, I also noticed that for HTML, we, there was always, when you write HTML, you have to okay, open a tag, for example, for a, a block. 
a div, and then you type your type, your stuff, and then you close it. But when you start including um, other pages into that page, for example, to build, um, like I saw it in, well, WordPress does it all the time. They have includes, right? So the a theme in WordPress is just a bunch of includes. So you have this page and then includes the date, includes the um, other little parts of the what makes this page. And I noticed there was always trouble like closing those div, like closing yeah. the page. So sometimes all you the layout one thing and then and the layout will break completely. So how can we solve that? Well, by having indentation, right? Nice indenting stuff. But you could also use a a template engine, which makes it a bit um, simpler, but also allows you to compress the output of this HTML. So if you you can write it super clean and easy to to read. We are using Jade template engine for this. And if you look at the templates, they look super clean because... There are no tags anymore. There are no tags. You have to learn a new syntax, which is the opposite. Yeah, it's a downside that everybody that wants to start helping in this area, you have to learn how Jade works, which is not a lot of work, but is not so intuitive. Yeah, I think that the most important part too that... uh uh, we didn't. We started mentioning, but we didn't finish. Is indeed how this is compiled, is translated into the actual HTML. So for that, we use also a task runner. So yeah. there is a tool that does that for you. And at some point, we were still using Grunt. Yeah. But then we got something newer. We got something newer. We got Gulp. <laughs> Gulp. <laughs> like yes. we always, we are we are having such a good time when we switch these technologies. When we find something, as like, oh man, you know, like we are using Grunt, which has like this fancy icon of this angry animal there. Yeah. And then Grunt. you're like, man, there is something that is faster, that is better. It's Gulp, and it's like this this glass uh with the a straw icon, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and it's just like why why like it's always funny to just see how the identities of this project appear and they are all very recent so you never know if you are too early adopting something who is using that if yeah. it's really better because in the case of uh, gulp for us it was really a big change because you had yeah to- it was huge you have to change the way the, the tasks are built so but I did a lot of research. It's not that we are changing and implementing new technologies for fun. Of Actually, we, are, we, we read about it. Sometimes we do, <laughs> especially at the beginning. But now we are uh, growing up. And I think it's, I, I really think a lot before using or implementing any, any kind of library. Like relying on libraries is good in a way, but also is <laughs> dangerous to keep track and what version you are and everything. So... Uh, so we switched to Gulp because uh, Grunt was okay, but it was comparing the speed. It was it was way slower, mm. and Gulp is a bit more. Uh, it's way faster, and also gives you a bit more control. So to make the story short, we have this extra task that is called. Uh, we can call it anything, but it's for for compiling Jade templates. So what it does is takes this this. Uh, HTML that we write in Jade, and it makes an output that is super compressed. It doesn't have white lines. It's fast for the uh, for the browsers to to load to load. And the same with the CSS. You don't have any white space, and it 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 really. You can also use loops, and you can create a bunch. Uh, you can have uh, uh, variables. You can do all kinds of things. Yeah, for me, the SAS looking at it because this is my first project where I use it. Yeah. It was like, oh man, why, why isn't CSS this? Yes. 
<laughs> you can give it a color and then you can say, okay, I want it slightly darker. So you can darker. configure this variable and then just say, okay, that's my main color. Now I want a bit darker there, a bit darker there because you're working on a shadow or a bit lighter because you're working with highlight. Yeah. It is so much easier to work with. It's amazing. And with uh, with, with Gulp uh, or Grunt or any of these tasks, the they have plugins too. So you can have, there, I, there is a plugin that I use that uh, is for um, making any tag that is a bit weird, any CSS tag that is maybe a bit uh, weird and you need like a special prefixes for Mozilla or for Internet Explorer mm -hmm. especially or Opera. Yeah. And it just makes it for you. So you only need to write, I don't know, box shadow. And then if you look at the CSS, it actually makes Mozilla box shadow and Opera box shadow. And it makes nice. it for all the other browsers. So you know, it's one less thing to worry about is that it will make it compatible with other browsers without actually having to write it. But you do have control over this, I assume. Because yes, of I think by now box shadow is pretty standard. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just one example, of course. But yeah, and the, you can set like how many versions you want. So you can say, okay, I want Safari and Internet Explorer. Oh, that's great. Previous that three versions, previous two versions. So in oh, wow. my my rule for <laughs> Blender Cloud usually is just yeah, give the the last a few versions, two or three three versions, I think, for the main browsers. That doesn't include Internet Explorer, sadly. <laughs> but actually, the latest one in Edge is catching up. So I, I run some tests and it seems to be all right. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, that's it for, well, and then JavaScript and then, of course, jQuery we use um, for most of the things, trying to move yeah. some to JavaScript so it's a bit faster. Or, but usually jQuery is fine. Yes. Yeah. We're using version 2.14. There is 3.0 came out a few days ago. Ooh. A few weeks ago, one week ago, or something like that. <laughs> okay. And I might test it. And we are not going to upgrade to that. Of course. <laughs> now, I, I, read, I read there is a nice article about it, and it seems they don't break anything yeah, cool. big. But <laughs> it's just a big number, but actually it doesn't break. But no, yeah, that's it for the, I think that's about it for the front end. We use some libraries and some CSS maybe for like jQuery file upload, for example. Yeah. We use um, for the scroll bars, there is a one that is called perfect scroll bar, which is pretty nice. And that um, we, we, we get it and we compile our own because that another good task is to minify JavaScript, for example. So we write the JavaScript in a folder and then this task, this Gulp task, gets all of the files and makes one of them, ma makes it one, which we call tutti, tutti. <laughs> because of our Italian uh, influence. So it's tutti, where we put everything that will be loaded all the time on the cloud for like navigation or very general stuff. Yeah. For specific um, uh, tools, like when you are editing a project, that is only loaded, of course, for, for people that are subscribers and can edit a project. So for that, it's also minified, but it's with a different task in Gulp. So in the end, it looks like we are just adding technologies, naming uh, technologies, but actually it's pretty pretty handy, some of them. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, it's really funny because you don't know how these things work. And especially if you are a newcomer and you want to see and you want to get involved, this from the front-end perspective is really the, the core of it, like understanding that we have 
a way to write the, the code, the interface code, and then there is this task runner that has to be executed in order to generate something. And when people are coming on board or trying out stuff without having seen this before, uh, they get very confused because they're like, where is the HTML? And uh, we'll, we'll do our best to explain that. And uh, we see that is now is a growing trend. So it's like uh, the current way to do it. So it's not so uncommon, but uh, it, I think that's the main the main obstacle. Like, where is the CSS? Where is the HTML? And you actually don't write that anymore. You don't, Somebody yeah. makes it for you. And that's very cool. And that can be a bit of a showstopper for everybody. Like everybody does web stuff. Everybody knows web CSS. Like it's pretty common. Yeah. You don't need to, like, it's different to find a, a, an actual developer, right? Like a Python developer, but everybody does CSS. And then oh, I want to I want to help with the Blender web. And then uh, they see that it's different. You have to learn. So we are successfully making it harder for people to help. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which is also seen like in the Blender manual that it, yeah, I want to, to help with the manual. Yeah, you have to like get a Git repository and change and then... Yeah. Yes, well, at some point you want to have things properly organized. So yeah, so it's, it's you okay. You always to, have to learn something. Yeah. So I think that's it for the for the front end. Awesome. Okay. So what about the back end? Yeah, the back end the is, is a mid-end. Uh, mid <laughs> well, we have a mid-end actually now, but we don't call it like that, actually. Of course, in, you know, the normal normal terms are front end and back end. So back end is whatever runs on your server. And uh, I think I will briefly describe how it's set up in terms of applications, and then maybe Sebron can mention some of the most interesting aspects uh, about the technologies themselves. So we have two uh, web applications that are uh, running, or web services that are running for the cloud. One of them, uh, and they that they form uh, the pillar framework. So it's uh, just a uh, something we made up based on a lot of existing technology is something that we built to uh, support us in uh, our mission to provide tools to make this project management, this asset management uh, uh, possible for filmmaking and uh, for what we do here in the studio. So basically the idea is uh, that we have a web application that is dedicated to provide the web interface so with the web browser you can see everything you can see the content so the content is the data that is stored somewhere uh, it can be text data that is stored in the database or it can actually be files that is stored in some uh, storage space and uh, you have a uh, and, and this is all organized in a database and so you have a, an interface accessible via the web browser to navigate this and this application is called pillar web and is a python web service uh, that uh, uh, gives the user interaction with it um, but it doesn't directly access the data itself it talks to another web service that is a little bit further back, which is Pillar, which is the Pillar server. And uh, the Pillar server is the lowest level service that we have. And uh, it is really the place where uh, you do the queries, where you, where you ask, okay, I show me the assets for this project. Show me all the files that are in the Agent 327 project. And uh, show me all the files that are inside of this folder of the Agent 327 project. And this web service is going to respond uh, with, uh, some, uh, with some JSON data, and uh, you then are going to be able to visualize it wherever you want. The reason why we decouple these two services is, uh, uh, as we anticipated, that we want to be able to access it not uh, only from the web browser, but we also want 
to, to access it from within Blender or potentially any other uh, tool that is out there. We just want this uh, service to be queryable from everywhere. And uh, for that, we made a we made a tool also in Python that facilitates this, is the Pillar Python SDK. Currently, it's made in Python, but any technology could actually be used. And uh, that is what is also used by the Pillar web. So this web front end, it uses the, this toolkit to talk to the Pillar server. And uh, this uh, Pillar web server is, uh, uh, this Pillar server is done in Python as well, and it talks to a Mongo database. And uh, I think in terms of components, this is pretty much what is there. So you can never talk directly to the database. You always have to talk to the Pillar server. And uh, that, is, that is pretty much it. Uh, I think just to mention a couple of the technologies, we use a lot of things, but uh, one of the biggest one is Flask, which is a, a Python micro framework, uh, sort of like Django, and Zebra uh, maybe can mention something about it uh, in a moment. And we use Eve, which is something built on top of Flask uh, that we use in the server side, which, uh, which works as a RESTful API. I'm just naming a lot of things, but if it, it's just a way to uh, standardize the way you talk to web services. So you say, give me all these things. And the way you say, give me all the things is a standard for that. There are web standards for this. So it's mm -hmm. a, it's a, a system that works with Python that supports this standard. And uh, I think those are the two biggest things. Plus we use a lot of other libraries and, 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 and tools for it. So that being said, maybe Sibran can say, since he has been uh, here for uh, not too long, how it was for you to get uh, uh, running with Flask and with. Uh, I know you have experience with the Python web development, but it was yeah. your first time working with uh, with this uh, this system. So, yeah. what can you say about it? Um, yeah, what can I say? It's it was quite new for me, indeed. Uh, I do did have previous experience with Flask. But I didn't have experience with MongoDB, mm -hmm. um, so I, I've been working with relational databases for years, and I'm, I'm comfortable with them. So at first, I was like, "Oh, this, this, and this document, oh, interesting." <laughs> uh, but then Francesco explained to me like the idea, especially with Attract, where you have shop management, where people have different ideas about what they want to store with a shot and which kind of status they have, how people interact with it. So it has to be very flexible. So you have this structured part with um, IDs and names and you have to point at things and fetch things and manage permissions. That's all done on one level. But then within that rigid structure, you also want to have great flexibility. So in a relational database, I think uh, Postgres now supports things like JSON columns, where you can also query on the JSON values themselves. But still, it remains a separate thing. You have the JSON for the flexible stuff, and then you have the regular SQL columns for the non-flexible stuff. And uh, I really liked how in Mongo, this is all just one document, where in the subpart of the document, you're very flexible. Other parts, you have your own structure. And that integrates those two worlds very nicely. So it did take a little bit getting used to, but I, I now like it so much that I'm thinking about redoing stuff for my own website with Mongo. <laughs> with Mongo. Ah, nice. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, so on top of uh, Mongo and Eve, uh, where Eve supports the standard, as, as Francesco said, supports a standardized way of 
getting access to your data. Um, we built this permission system with groups and roles and uh, where people can become a member of a admin group for a project, for example. And this also allowed us to do the sharing, uh, sharing of projects between people. Yeah, I guess that's really complex, right? When you have a project and then you can have the owner of the project, but you also have members of the project, but they also need a subscription to the cloud. Yes. So it's like oh, another level. A lot of things coming together. So uh, fortunately, Francesco thought this out quite well. Um, did I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you did because it's um, you kept things simple and you kept things well-defined. So we try to mimic uh, directory structure as much as we can, including how Unix file permissions work. Um, except that it's purely a additive permission system. So just like Unix, we have users that can have certain permissions. We have groups and we have the rest of the world. And if you get certain permissions on the project level, then you get them for everything that's in the project. And if you have specific permissions for, say, a certain file in the project, you get them only for that file. But you can't take away permissions anymore. So you can't say you have oh. right access to the project, but not to this file. So once given, it remains given. And it's, it's, it's limited, but because of the limits, it's very easy to work with and is powerful. And it's just clear to explain and easier to grasp what's going on. Yeah, I think that overall the main point of uh, making the pillar framework was exactly what it has like a, a couple of points because when you when you find yourself to develop these kind of uh, solutions you wonder okay I'm pretty sure a hundred people had this problem before me so it doesn't make sense to immediately start developing this kind of stuff but uh, and that's why we are able to reuse a lot of uh, uh, material and a lot of uh, application uh, code that has been made um, but uh, what we made that we think is quite new or at least is, is very specialized to what we need is indeed the permission system and the way the data is stored and represented which is the nodes and the node types and these are yeah. both things that uh, Sibran mentioned and uh, basically the, the nodes uh, and the node types are uh, the answer to the question what is it. <laughs> what and, uh, is it? Everything is a node. Yeah, yeah, everything exactly because you you start thinking about it and uh, you have uh, a file. So a file is uh, uh, you is a file is an object that has a name. It has maybe a preview picture and it has a little description and stuff like that. Then you have a shot. A shot also has a little preview image. It has a description of what happens in the shot and uh, it maybe has uh, a state. Uh, is it in progress? Is it done or not? And uh, a folder is the same. It can have a picture, it can have a description. So actually, the answer, you, you start thinking everything is everything. And then what it's very confusing. Lord. So then you start thinking, okay, everything is a node. Okay, that's better because this is a concept that is also used by software. Uh, like a 3D software also uh, uses that. And that's also one of the ideas for the future of Blender, like that everything is controllable with nodes. So you have a data structure that can be expanded and uh, it can be recursive and things like that. So... That is one of the things that we do with this framework. You can define there is the concept of a node, and then you have a node type, and uh, a node type can be further defined. So you have this basic object that then can get extra properties depending on what it is, and that establishes a functionality and relations with other nodes and things like that. And we built the whole framework to 
handle this. And the big advantage of it is that in terms of storage and data structures, it's really, really simple, but also flexible. And uh, so it, it can grow a lot because the idea of the cloud is, of course, to support a lot of projects and a lot of uh, uh, assets being added. And that's also one of the reasons why we choose the Mongo database, because it can really host a lot of data. And uh, by trying to design the system like this, very, very flat, uh, it allows us to scale it really, really large. We are never going to have to worry about it, basically, by how it's designed and also by how big the the usage that we foresee is going to be. So yeah, that was just a, a little digression of why uh, we made uh, Pillar itself. Uh, I don't know if uh, Sibran has uh, more to add because we could actually be talking about this for, for days. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, uh, of course... Uh, uh, not I mean, possible. Yes. <laughs> well, maybe if, if you have uh, any questions, dear listeners, uh, write them down in a comment. Yeah. Uh, because then at least we can focus on some of the technical aspects that you find interesting. Yeah, I think we went super technical in this pro in the, in this podcast, and it's, it's web stuff, so it's not even Blender. But I think it's good to, let, to let talk us know. about let it. Us know yeah, if let you're us like, know. okay, we hate it. This is gonna be the least listened to Ex podcast halfway. Yes. People are like, what am I listening Five to? Just go away. Yeah. Like Yalti's not even making a joke. <laughs> and this with his soothing voice is not saying anything. Sergey's not here to talk about hardcore blender. I mean, what is this even this stuff? And yeah. So, so if you made it this far, thank you for listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> but let us know, yeah, about the, the, the technical parts if you want to yeah. know more about it, uh, just write it down. Yeah. And yeah, and make yeah, it's good to know and to say again that everything we do is open source. Yes. The cloud is open source. Uh, uh, the every, every website that we're doing, <laughs> basically, we have this this uh, philosophy that everything has to be open source, like Blender. Well, so, it's even in our in our contract. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's in our, in our contract. Yeah. Wow, I didn't read the, the small, <laughs> <laughs> the small Everything print. you do is open everything source. Everything you do. Everything. You have to share everything you do. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but yeah, the technology we use and everything we use, it's um, yeah. everything we write here is open source. So if you want to learn more about it, um, you can do so in developer. Yeah, yeah developer.blender.org. Some things are on GitHub, but they're yeah. public too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and soon we're, well, we're going to move everything, everything to developer.blender. Yeah. Uh, but for the time being, some of them for convenience are on GitHub. So yeah. uh, you can find them there. All right. That's so it. yeah, um, we are we have some questions from uh, the past week, but I think we can pick them up uh, in the upcoming yeah, Blender podcast. Like question, yes. so. so we didn't forget about you. We are going to uh, talk about it next week. And uh, thanks a lot for tuning into this unusual institute podcast. If you're still awake, <laughs> and uh, we will see you very soon with another episode. Yeah, with so, a regular episode. Yeah, with, with everybody going to be back. Uh, yeah, with, with sounds, yeah. Yeah. with this. Uh, by yeah. the way, this is not a phone doing like uh, it's not a ringtone. Yeah, exactly. It's a we we put we post a picture in the previous episode. It's a it's a Super Mario box that that you hit, and if you hit it's several a question times, mark break. Wait, and then there, there you go. Right. It's the most satisfying <laughs> thing on earth. <laughs> anyway, that's it. Okay, see you. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye. Ciao. You've been listening to the Blender Institute podcast, brought to you by the Blender Cloud. Are you tired of swimming in an ocean of creativity? Just relax and sink on the cloud. Go to cloud.blender.org.